morning, everyone. Before we move on and before Paul comes and talks to us, the Lindos have just led us in beautiful, beautiful sound. I don't know about you, but sometimes I just, I just need to hear sound. And it's like I can just feel God on it and his love. But should we have a moment of peace and contemplation in this time of year? And just the sense I get is for us to contemplate that we are deeply, deeply loved. You are a chosen child of God. You are created. You are a wanted family member, whether you have experienced that on earth or not. But we've just been singing about an adoration for our God who created us out of love and loves you this morning. So let's have a moment of contemplation of what it is to be loved beyond measure. So I bless you this morning. As you hear words that speak significance and meaning into your existence, into your family, into your community, into your past, into your present and into your future. So I'm going to invite Paul now to speak to us on Luke. Good morning, everyone. We're uh, looking at uh, Luke 14 today. Continuing our series of uh, Jesus' encounters with different characters in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, this, is a, this is a fun passage we're going to look at. And uh, again, I just want to tell you the story. You, you've probably read it, um, or maybe you, can, you, you might want to take a note to go and, uh, and read through it line by line. But rather than do that, I just want to tell you the story and then give you a bit of context and an idea about uh, where we're going today. Thanks, Chris, for producing me here. He's a, I think you've become a great producer in lockdown, you know. I see all this tech and everything up and running. <laughs> Pastor of the church, the, the, the producer of the live stream. Um, so, Luke 14. What we've got is Jesus, it, it's a Sabbath day, and he is going for a meal. He's going for lunch, basically, with what the Bible calls a ruler of the Pharisees. So, this is like a kind of senior, he's a senior guy in the community, a senior religious figure, uh, maybe he would be like a, a bishop, something like that, uh, a, like a senior religious figure with lots of other people who would look up to him. He would be considered uh, a representative of the Jewish faith and a leader in the community and, you know, a wise man, an upstanding citizen. So Jesus is going to have a meal with this guy. And just before he ends up in the house, he uh, is confronted by a, a guy who's sick. And the, the Bible says that all the other Pharisees who were there, they were watching carefully to see what he was going to do. And what, what's he going to do with this sick guy? We don't know if they set him up, if they actually put the sick guy there in, in his way, or if he just comes across him. But he does. And Jesus heals the guy. And the Pharisees are cross about this because they say, you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath day. And healing on the Sabbath day 
constitutes work. Jesus responds, he gives them a response, which I'm, I'm going to talk about a little bit in a moment. Uh, and it, it shuts them up. They don't really know how to answer. Then he ends up in, in the house and they're having this meal. And he gets into a discussion about uh, when, when you go, when you get invited to a party, don't go and take the best seat in the house because then maybe someone more honoured or more respected than you will come in and the, the, the host of the party might demote you. He might push you down and then you're dishonoured in front of everyone. So Jesus says instead you should take the place of least honour and then that will allow the, the, uh, the, the host of the party to promote you and put you in, in the place of higher honour. And he also, in this, in this banquet, he takes the opportunity to say, don't just invite rich people and wealthy people and your friends and your family to come and eat with you. Go and invite the poor and the sick. Go and invite the lonely. Go and invite those who, who are homeless. Invite them to come in and be part of your banquet and share what you have with them. So, and, and then this goes into a further discussion around what the, the kingdom of heaven is like, which is what has just been taking place in Luke chapter 13. So this is the, this is kind of the context of the story. I have to say, it's actually a tricky passage to preach on. And the reason it's tricky, I think, is because with these sorts of passages, it's very easy to get caught just at the surface meaning. And what I mean by that is we can kind of get into, we can read the scripture moralistically. And that is to say, we read a passage like this or or anything else in the Gospels and we say, what is it telling me about what I should do and how I should live my life to be a better person or to be a better Christian? And we can read this and say, see, this passage is showing us very clearly that we should take care of the poor and we should invite them into our homes and we should be hospitable. And all of that is true. We should do those things. And especially at Christmas, we should should do those things. And we should be looking out absolutely for how we can how we can extend um, charity and hospitality and kindness to alleviate the the suffering of those who are in need. One hundred percent. That's what we should do. However, I would like to suggest to you that if if this is the only thing that this passage is saying to us, it's kind of wasting quite a lot of space to do it. Like it could just tell us that. Jesus could just say, you know what, you should be kind to the poor and you should, you should take care of their needs. Basically, we would say, yeah, Jesus, we trust you. We'll do, we'll do what you say. We don't need an entire chapter. We don't need the, the, the entire backdrop of this story in order to tell us that. In fact, in many ways, I think that should be self-evident. We all know that we should be doing those things. And if we're doing them and we're, we're conscious of that, then we know that we should be doing them more. And you say, well, how, how much is enough? And, it's a bit of a, well, how long is a piece of string? There's always more that can be done. There's always more that we can give. There's always more that we can do. We don't actually need this passage to, to tell us this. <laughs> so what is it that the passage is trying to tell us? What is it, what is it addressing? One of the things that I do when I'm, I'm reading the Gospels, when I'm reading the, the Scripture as a whole, is I'm, I'm asking the question, uh, I'm asking the question, who is Jesus, where is Jesus, and what is Jesus doing? These kinds of questions. I'm, I'm always wanting to align myself towards that. And another question I'm asking is, how does this passage diagnose my problem? And what solution does it provide to my problem? Or how does this passage diagnose society's problem? And what solution does it provide to that problem? Or how does this passage diagnose the human condition? And what solution does it provide to the human condition? 
This, I think, is the, it's the, the deeper and more substantial reality of the gospel. You know, lots of people will say, well, religions of the world, they, they all basically say, say the same thing. They say, don't be a jerk, you know, be nice to people, um, do, do good, you know, and it, it's, all, it's all fairly similar. And actually, in as much as we're just looking at the surface of, mor- of how to live a moral life and a good life, they all say pretty similar things in different nuances, you know, different kind of rituals maybe. But fundamentally, they are, they're giving us extremely good and wise principles of how we can live our lives. You can look at any religion and you can draw, or any, any good quality philosophy, if I could put it that way too, and you can draw these same sorts of conclusions. So what is it that's actually significant or substantial about the gospel? Why do we have the gospel? Uh, instead of just saying, well, w- w- why don't we just say, all, you know, it's all basically the same, we should just be good people, which we should. But w- why do we have the gospel? What's the deeper reality that it's addressing? Uh, it, it reminds me of the parable where Jesus said, I don't know if you remember this one, that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's buried in the field. And a man finds the field, and then he sells everything he has so he can buy the field so that he could dig in and, and get the treasure out of it. And I want to suggest that if... If the only level of engagement we have is a surface engagement with the scripture, then we perhaps haven't recognized that there is a deeper treasure hidden. Even if the field itself on the surface is good and it's, uh, and it's healthy and it's a, it's, a, it's a hospitable place for us to live and figuratively and abide in, there is a treasure that's under the surface that Jesus is encouraging us to locate. So how, how, do, we, how do we find this here? Um, and I, I want to pull out a couple of a couple of thoughts. Um, again, when reading the scripture, we, we can often zone in on an individual word or on, on an individual verse, and we can look very, like with a magnifying glass or a microscope, uh, really close to the page. And that's a good way to analyze certain things, but we all know that if you do that, you can miss the wood for the trees. It's possible to look at something so closely that we miss that on the micro level that we miss the macro level. What is the big picture? What, is the, the, what are the broad brush uh, strokes that, that, that are going on here? And for that, we, we, do need, we do need some context. We need some background. So, first of all, this is Jesus going to the house of a senior Pharisee, a religious leader. We need to know, who is this guy? What does he represent? How, do the, how does the gospel frame him and diagnose his problem and how does Jesus provide a solution. So I'd like to suggest, if we, if we look in the context, you go back to the previous two chapters and especially the previous chapter, Jesus, he, he's actually done some similar things in the previous chapter that he, that he does in chapter 14. So one of the things that happens in chapter 13 is he heals someone in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And this is the first time people get up in arms about this. All the people in the synagogue, they're all like, Jesus, you can't do that. This is crazy. And he says to them, you're kind of hypocritical because you say you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. But if you have a donkey and the donkey falls into a ditch and it's the Sabbath day, you're going to work to pull the donkey out of the ditch. You're not just going to leave the poor thing there, you know, and say, sorry, donkey, you're going to have to wait until tomorrow before I come and like pull you out. You're going to say, no, I'm, I'm, even though it's the Sabbath and I'm not allowed to work, I am actually going to work to pull the donkey out. And so Jesus says, well, you can, you can treat that animal with compassion and kindness and that can supersede the law of the Sabbath that says you're not supposed to work. But you're angry with me because I am healing 
uh, a human being, a daughter of Abraham, who has been sick for 18 years. I've set her free from, from the power of the devil, and I've given her her life back. And you're accusing me of breaking God's law to do that. So this is, this is part of the backdrop. Another, another thing that happens in that, uh, in, in that previous um, chapter is Jesus talks about the, the fig tree that bears no fruit. So he says, imagine there's a fig tree and every year it's got lots of leaves, but it doesn't produce fruit. And then after one year, two years, three years, it's still not producing fruit. It's going to be in danger of being cut down. So there, there are these two things uh, that, that are there. Now, so, so keep this in mind. We've got this, this conflict going on over the Sabbath and to do with healing. And we've got this, this idea of the fig tree. And it's all in Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees. Now, in the next chapter, he's still with the Pharisees, but he's with, like, the senior Pharisee. So th- this is our, our background. These are the kind of... The, there, there are representations or symbols that are, are present in this story that uh, we will uh, we'll actually start to get some real depth if we, we understand it. So... You may be aware that in the story of the Old Testament, that's the Jewish scriptures and the Jewish religion, which was the backdrop to everything that's happening in the New Testament times, that the Jews were, the people of Israel, they were chosen by God to be a nation that was supposed to represent God to the world. And he gives them laws, he gives them commands, you're familiar with the Ten Commandments and a bunch of other laws. One of the Ten Commandments, I think it's the Fourth Commandment, is remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. But the, the, the Jews, they fail this. They screw it up continually. And in the end, they lose their nation and they, they go into exile in Babylon. And the prophets, when they're, they're prophesying about this, they're, they're declaring, what is the heart of God? Why is it that you've ended up in Babylon? There are two reasons why the, the, the Jews lose their, their place. To, or broadly speaking, there are two reasons. One of them is they did not keep the Sabbath. So you didn't honor the Sabbaths. And the other one is you didn't take care of the poor. These are the two reasons why you ended up losing your privileged position, losing your high position. It's demoted you to the, the, the bottom of the pack, where now you're, you're again just like slaves, in, in like in the story of, of Exodus, when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. You're back, right back here to square zero, or square minus one even. You're not, you're not even on the radar. And this happened because you neglected the Sabbath and you neglected the poor. So you can see here in... Uh, in Luke 14, the idea of how we treat the poor and what the Sabbath is, these are the two major themes that, that are also uh, present. And the backdrop to this, as I said, is how did the Jews lose their position? Now, you've got the, the, the senior Pharisee here. He is like the, the, the representative. He's the microcosm of the whole Jewish system. He's the, the archetype of the Jewish law. He's the one who is the, the upstanding, law-abiding, law-keeping citizen. And it, it, like I said, he's kind of like this bishop figure. So if we, we might think of like the Archbishop of Canterbury or maybe the Pope as representative of the, you know, the Anglican Church or the Catholic Church. You might think of like the Dalai Lama as representative of the, of, of the Buddhist world. And the, the, these are kind of archetypal figures. And the way that they behave, it's... It's kind of representative of their religion, uh, of their particular faith group. So this guy, is he's like a guy like that. So when we see him, he's standing in for the whole system. He's a microcosm of the whole system. So Jesus' interaction with him is an interaction with an individual, but it's also an interaction with an entire system. So that's, all, that, that's me setting up all of this. So wh- wh- how do we interpret it, and, and what does it mean? So... First of all, 
Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? Well, this goes back to Genesis, where God creates the world in six days, and then on the seventh day he rests. Now, what the Jews thought that meant, or what the Pharisees, should I say, to be specific, what they thought that meant was that, okay, God has interacted with creation, he's created it, and then he's kind of, he's kind of nicked off. He's sort of like said, I'm, I'm, I'm now going to stand back and let you lot all get on with it. I'm going to rest from my work, now it's your responsibility to do your work. So on the seventh day, God says, I'm done, I'm, I'm just, I'm taking off. You, you kind of get on with it. And the, the Jews had this mentality that God was kind of like this, this lofty figure, you know, like the old man in the sky sitting on the cloud looking down. And then he's got all these different angels and even demons, actually, who are working for him, who are, who are ticking boxes. Like, this guy's good, this guy's bad. You know, they're kind of keeping tally. It's a little bit like cosmic Father Christmas, actually. You've got the naughty list. You've got the nice list. So this is what God's doing. Once in a while, he might turn up and do something. But you don't know whether you're going to get a lump of coal or whether you're going to get that, you know... Uh, new pair of shoes that you really wanted or whatever it is that you, you wanted for Christmas. Um, that Minecraft subscription. I don't know what it, what, what it is that, that you kids want. Maybe, you, maybe you're going to post that, what, what it is that you're asking for for Christmas. But anyway, the Jews kind of had this view of God that he was a little bit like that. So they also had the view that because of this, if somebody is poor or if they're sick, then it's probably because it's their fault. They've sinned and because of that, God's punishing them, so they're poor or they're sick. Or if they didn't, then their their grandparents or even their great-grandparents might have done something that offended God and he's cursed them and now now it's kind of come down onto them. So you see, in, in that Jewish thinking, the Jewish system, the idea of the Sabbath, of God taking a break, of resting from everything, is also connected to this corrupt belief that the poor and the sick are suffering because God is punishing them for screwing up somehow or is punishing them for what their, uh, their families have done. So you see, when the, the, uh, the Pharisees are indignant about Jesus healing on the Sabbath, it's not just because he's, uh, he, he's, he's breaking a command about work. It's also cutting right to, a, right to the nerve, right to the bone. It's a very sensitive issue because it's challenging them as to whether or not the, the, the poor are justifiably poor, or whether they should be helped, or whether the sick are justifiably sick, or whether they sh- should be healed. And Jesus is striking right at the heart of this by saying, effectively, you are, uh, you're keeping the letter of the law by saying, I'm not going to do any work, but you are completely violating the spirit of the law. Because the spirit of the law is not that God is aloof and is standing back from humanity. The spirit of the law is that God himself has reached into our mess, has reached into our dysfunction to come and sit down with us in the lowest place, to sit with the poor, to sit with the sick, to sit with the the disenfranchised, you know, the grieving, and to be with them and to raise them up. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news of the gospel to the poor and proclaim freedom to the captives and the slaves and the recovery of sight to the blind and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. You see, to the Jewish mind, God was distant, but to Christ and, and to those who were around him, they were seeing God in the flesh. We were just singing about that. At Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation. That Jesus Christ is God incarnate. He's fully man and he's fully God. This is not a distant God who stands aloof at the infinite distance of a disapproving heart. This is the God who, who fully embodies the human condition and comes to us face to face. 
And he shows us what the character of the Father is really like. When he heals on the Sabbath, he shows us that this is the true heart of God, which is to heal and do good on the Sabbath. Not to, by, by way of trying to slavishly follow some legal principle about working or not working, in doing that to neglect the real substance and the real purpose of the law, which is to teach us that we, to see the image of God in everyone and to treat others as, as we would be, uh, we would be treated. But there's something even more fundamental in this that Jesus is drawing out, which is what is the hypocrisy of the Pharisee when the Pharisee says, Jesus, you shouldn't be healing on the Sabbath? Well, Jesus says to them, you would take care of your donkey or you would take care of your ox or you would take care of your own son or daughter if they fell into, into the ditch. So therefore, what's the implication of this? He's saying there is something within you, the Pharisee, that is more fundamental than the law. There is something deep inside you, this intuition that knows if, if my son or my daughter or my, even my pet or my work animal is in distress or in difficulty, then that supersedes the uh, legal obligation I have to, uh, to, you know, to, to respect the Sabbath in its formalistic way. And this is the hypocrisy. Jesus is saying, by your actions, you show that something inside of you, there is a light inside of you that is not controlled or restricted or defined by this law. Yet externally, you purport to be law keepers. You say that you are in God's good books because you are keeping the law, when actually you are living in a way that shows there's something deeper and more fundamental than even the law. And Jesus is trying to show us this is the image of God within us, that there is no law that can make the image of God uh, come into us. Either you are in the image of God or you aren't. And Jesus is constantly trying to dig through this smokescreen of legalistic religion to try and get us to recognize this is who we are in him. You see, after all, Christ, he is the creator and sustainer of all things, according to the New Testament. So when, when Jesus is there embodied in the flesh, he doesn't stop being the very word of God that is upholding the existence of everything else. So Jesus is actually in the Pharisee at the very time when he's confronting him. He's also inside him as the very life force that keeps the Pharisee going. Anyway, all this is taking place at a banquet. And there are many banquets in the, in, in the scripture, but they all lead up to the last banquet or the last supper. And all the, the dialogues and all the interactions that Jesus has at different suppers or different banquets throughout the Gospels need to be framed in the context of the last supper. Because you see, what he's doing all the time is he's pushing us towards this realization that he is our life. He, in fact, John says he is the, the true light that gives life to everyone. Every single person, every single tree, every single star. Christ is the one who gives life to that, who animates it by his, his very presence. Not by his absence, his aloofness, standing apart from creation, but right down in the midst with us. So we have the surface meaning of the scripture, which is be humble, show hospitality, look after those in need with the means that are at your disposal. And we ought to do that. But actually, we have something even deeper going on inside us, which is Christ showing us he's our creator, he's our sustainer, and he's inviting us to a banquet of his own. But at this banquet, he himself is the meal. This is why we have the Eucharist, you know, or the communion, and the, the, the bread and the wine. It's, it's actually connecting us to the reality that Christ doesn't just give us good principles to follow. 
He does give us good principles to follow, but he doesn't just do that. He actually gives us his very life, his very animating, vital presence that enables us to be or do anything at all. I actually like to put it this way. Jesus makes us good by liberating us from the need or the effort to become good. You see, law, religious law, is all predicated on the idea that you are not good. You are somehow problematic and dysfunctional. God doesn't really like you. And you need to do all of these things in order to to fix and remedy this problem. Jesus, when he comes, cuts right through this whole way of thinking, this operating system. He completely crashes that hard drive and he reboots it with a new operating system. And that's one that says, you are able to do these things because I am in you. That my life and my love is present within you and it's overflowing up and out of you. So therefore, if you know that, you can cooperate with it. You can take sides with me and you can look after the poor. You can heal the sick. You can bring reconciliation to a broken and a dysfunctional world. This is God's Sabbath rest. You see, this is a paradox in scripture that everything that we're invited to do as Christian people is in the rest of God. It's not in self-effort, labor, and works. It's in God's energy, which comes from God's rest. If we read this just as a moralistic scripture, then it's very easy for it to reactivate our own self-effort. And we can start thinking, oh, I don't measure up. I need to do more. I need to act. And of course, these are all good things. I'm not saying that they're not things we should do. They are things we should do. But Christ is addressing a more fundamental issue for us. That issue is, what is the the need and the problem of the human heart? The need of the human heart is to know the indwelling presence of God. To know the assurance that is our acceptance in Christ. When we know that, when that's living and dwelling within us, in in a real and vital way, then it overflows from us and it comes out spontaneously. And then we find that suddenly we love people when we didn't love them before. You see, the scripture, the Ten Commandments even, start with this command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your body and strength. But here's the thing. You can't legislate for love. It's not possible to legislate for love. You can't give a law that makes people love. You can, you can create a law that... If they're very good at acting, they can kind of put on a show and pretend like they actually love. But a law cannot be given that can make people love. Love comes spontaneously. Love is the, it's the, the natural overflow of knowing that we're loved. This is the, the witness of the scripture. So when Jesus is present at the Pharisee's house at the banquet... In all of this conversation, in all of this dialogue, he's trying to recalibrate their attention, turn their gaze away from all of these things they're preoccupied in to discover the very presence of the one who's sitting at the table with them. Because ultimately he's going to lead them to realize the one who's sitting at the table is also the one who's on the table. That his body and his blood is, our, is true food and is true drink to us. It is, the, it is the very thing that nourishes and furnishes the human soul with what is needed for us to be fully human and to be fully divine. Because that's who we are. That's our authentic reality. Our origin is in the life of the Trinity. And that's where our life is held in between in that relationship of Father, Son and Spirit. So let me, let me close off on, on, on just 
one or two final thoughts and, and then we're going to pray. I think when we, we see these scriptures and we're asking the question, Jesus, what is your face like? What do you look like? There are certain things we can see. One of the things is, you know, God is all about healing. And we're also all about healing as a, as a result. He's so passionately towards restoring what is broken and what is, uh, what is ailing us and troubling us. And so we believe in praying for the sick and we believe that God heals through prayer. We also believe that God heals through medical science and the, 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 the actions and the work of, of doctors and nurses and scientists uh, who are researching and you know, putting their God-given wisdom and their expertise in the pursuit of, uh, of, of human flourishing. And of good health. And we also believe in healing through practicing a good and wise lifestyle. God is in all three of these. In, in and through prayer and miraculous healing. In and through medical science and, uh, and, and, um, and technology. And also in and through uh, having proper lifestyle. Which also involves having a proper ordering of society that promotes health and, uh, and, and flourishing for us too. So we believe in all of those and God is present in all of them. And in this church, we have people who are involved in all aspects of that. And I, and I just want to encourage you and, and affirm you that God is 100% present with you in your endeavors to, uh, to see uh, health and, um, and wholeness brought to people through, through all these different ways. God is also about uh, raising up the poor. And, uh, and actually... The thing, about, the thing about the poor is they know that they're poor. The thing about the rich is they don't know that they're poor. And this is what the scripture shows us. That when, we're, when we are in a relatively uh, well-off circumstance, we don't recognize that the need that we have in our hearts is a, is a universal human need. We all need the love of Father, Son, and Spirit to be our, to be our anchor and to be our source. And when we know that and when we experience it, we're going to embody God's heart for reconciliation and for, for bringing people together. But it's going to happen much more naturally and uh, much more easily than, as, than when we're trying to do it in our own strength and our own effort. So, final point. At the banquet, Jesus says, and I mentioned it before, when you're invited to a banquet, don't go and sit in the highest place. Go and sit in the lowest place so that you can be... Uh, elevated to the highest place. This is, this is Jesus actually encouraging us to recognize in ourselves our own poverty. He's saying, take this, take this radical humility in yourself that says, do you know what? I, I, I'm not even going to attempt of my own wisdom, my own strength, and my own effort to become anything. I'm not going to attempt to achieve or, uh, or acquire or say any kind of status or make any kind of impact. Instead, I'm going to recognize my complete inability apart from Jesus' sustaining and loving presence inside me. And I'm going to occupy the lowest seat in the banquet and I'm going to allow the Father to lift me up from that place in my experience to, to the highest place. And that's actually what he has already done in us in Christ. He's put us in him and he's taken us with him through uh, the incarnation, when he was, he was born at Christmas, through his life, through his death on the cross, through his descent into the grave, through his resurrection and through his ascension to the right hand of, of the Father. He's taken us with him in that. That's the Christian gospel. And that's what we proclaim, that this is what Jesus has done for the whole human race. He's done it for the whole of creation. And so we're, we're proclaiming now, we need, to, we need to believe it. If we believe it, it will it will enable us to cooperate with it. It will enable us to locate that light that's inside us. 
That is the very presence of the Holy Spirit. As we locate that light, we'll, we'll be able to, to cooperate with that light. So, if uh, I, I guess in this in this conversation today, people are tuning in from lots of different places, lots of different uh, backgrounds. I know, obviously, we've got our regular uh, Hope uh, Community Church family, and, uh, and and for you, my my encouragement is that. You know, look, look for opportunities this Christmas where you can just do good. You know, just be good. It's nice to be good. Like, let's do it. And, and let's, let's do it more. And whatever we have in mind to do, let's do even more than that. Uh, because it's, a, it's our privilege and our joy to do it. But let's not get, let's not get, not get caught in the, the deception of a religious formalism that tries to tell us that we have to do these things in order to become acceptable to God or become uh, worthy. Christ has already done that and he's already inside us. We cannot get any closer to him than we already are and we cannot get any further away from him. There's no way that nowhere that we can go to be removed from his presence and nothing can separate us from his love. Let's meditate on that and let's find him in that place. And for those who are on, maybe you're, you're, you're kind of just been, been tuning in recently, last few weeks, and maybe you're, you're asking questions about the Christian faith. Maybe you, you don't have uh, any, any religious faith at all. Maybe you're an atheist, or maybe you're, you're a Buddhist, or Muslim, or, or a New Ager, or whatever it is. And uh, you, you're so welcome, and we're, we're really glad that you've joined us today. And what I wanted to, was pr- I was praying about this, so what, what, could I, what could I share you know, to in, encourage you guys, as, just as a, a, a final thought? Um, this morning, and and that was to say, actually, I, I believe Jesus has more to offer than than just the, uh, the the good moral teachings of our respective traditions. And there are many good moral teachings from many traditions. And I, I would like to say, you know, Jesus is living in you. God is living in you, and you can ask Him, Jesus, are you really in me? Can you make yourself known? I would actually like to, to know your rest. I would like to know your energy because I've been working hard to be a good person and I don't really feel like I've done a particularly good job. And I think that's all of us. If we're all honest, we all think that. Let's acknowledge that and that's taking the seat at the, the lowest place of the banquet. And God's going God's to gonna raise you up. And so my prayer for you today, for all of us, as we're coming into the Christmas season, is that we'd, we'd come face to face in that encounter with a God who is not distant and aloof, not high on some, you know, cosmic cloud looking down, you know, with, with this kind of tick box of, uh, of, of weighing our good and bad deeds against, uh, against the, uh, them uh, and punishing us when we do wrong and blessing us when we do right. God has got right down into the dirt with us and he's still there. He's never left. He's never stopped being human, and he's present, he's present with us right now. So whatever we're going through, whatever we're struggling with, whatever we're suffering, or whatever we're facing, either as individuals or families, friends, neighbors, or in the craziness of our, uh, our political uh, systems and, and turmoils that are going on in, in the world right now, whatever's happening there, Christ is present, and he encourages us to, to, to find him there. And in doing so, to lose our worry, lose our fear, lose our anxiety, and discover the love within that overflows and transforms the world. God bless you. Thanks for listening. I'll pass back to Grace. So shall we live out the joy that we have of healing? This is the demonstration of Christ with us today, that he's very much alive, that he's 
continually in our lives, either by inch by inch or mile by mile, healing our hearts, healing our souls, healing our bodies. And so I prayed for um, a couple of words of knowledge for healing, but I'd actually like us to pray for everyone who might be sick today. And I'm going to ask that you would also be the team. We're all empowered to pray for healing. Um, so I'm going to give these two senses that I have. Um, if that's you, I'd be really encouraged if you said something on the uh, chat. But I also have a sense that maybe one of them is someone that one of one of those people who are watching knows as well. So you'll be praying on their behalf. So the first one is I got a quite distinct picture of someone with eczema or psoriasis around your eyes. Um, so much so that you really can't put anything on it. Um, I really feel that God wants to touch that today um, and heal and bring almost a, like a, a, a spiritual and physical balm to it. Um, and the other one was a, a strange picture of someone losing the end of their fingers as if you have lost an end of a digit and it's actually still caused you pain, maybe years later. And I feel to pray for a healing of your nerves that peace would come upon your fingers. Now, those are just two words of knowledge. Now, there's obviously going to be need, healing needs in each one of our homes and those of us who are um, watching this morning or even watching the recording. So I'm just going to ask that we all pray together now. Now, you might have someone in the room right now. If you feel brave enough, would you like to ask them if you could put um, either pray for them or, or put a hand on the area if it's appropriate? Could you do that? And also you might have people in your heart this morning that you've heavily been weighing, wanting to see healing. So let's pray together and believe that actually this is something that God has pleasure to do and he will do something. And I only ask for words of knowledge because I've seen them work and because I constantly challenge myself to believe, no, God wants to heal. And I've seen so many people healed and I'm still praying for others and others I didn't. But I know that if I don't do this, I don't get the opportunity to enter into the good of what Paul's been talking about. That God is with us and he wants to heal and it's one of his pleasures to do it. So let's pray together now. Thank you, God, that your witness on earth today is joy of healing. That you come and you take our sickness, whether it's in our mind, our heart and our physical bodies. And I ask for the demonstration of your pleasure and your love and your union with us, that you haven't stepped away and let us to get on with it, but actually you are constantly working through it. I pray peace now. Every sickness, every disease, that finger, the eyes, every sickness or disease that are in every home of anyone watching or those that we know of that we're praying for, I pray for a supernatural, divine witness of your passion and of your love this morning. And I pray, God, that you would do it in the and suddenly. For those who've been sick for years, there would be an and suddenly today, this week. And for those of you who have been having sickness for years and just thinking, man, I don't know how to believe anymore, you don't need to. So, Father, I thank you that you believe on our behalf. You are constantly, always interceding on our behalf in a very real heavenly realm right now. I thank you that as a Christian faith, we get to pray for the wild, the weird and the wonderful. And so we ask for that today. In Jesus' name. And I pray in Jesus' name because it's just saying, yes, and I agree with what he said. Simple as that. So I'm going to encourage you to test it out. If those of you who have an illness, a sickness, or something that you can test out and see a level of healing, my encouragement to you is to thank God for whatever measure you see. If you see a 5% measure, if that pain has gone down 5%, thank him. Because he's going to increase what you focus on. 
If you focus on hopelessness, you're just going to find yourself filled with even more. But if you focus on what he is doing, you'll see it increase. And I encourage you to look this week, to keep checking. I've seen people healed three days later when they forgot about the prayer and then suddenly woke up in the morning and, and saw a healing. We just believe that God is with us constantly, always, every day, and we will see his goodness. No matter what we face, we will see his goodness. Bless you this morning. Thanks so much, Grace. Thank you, Paul. Really rich, eh? Um, I've been finding such life in the sort of, has it been the freshness to which Paul's been opening the, the scriptures and the gospel uh, over the last couple of years, really? Um, and I'm wondering as well if there's some questions that people have, you know, from what he's been bringing. Uh, it's easy to think of God as an angry God, you know, and, and, and for me that was quite a, a subtle um, mindset with which I saw God. And, and, and it's very liberating and changing to recognise that's actually not who God is. Uh, and, um, but if you, so it might be bringing up questions for you. And I think just please let's have some dialogue on this, if, if that would be helpful. You know, it's a great thing about chewing over the scriptures and the Bible and, and who God is. And so please put comments, maybe you could put comments in the, in the chat here or, you know, you could call the office or email or whatever, whatever communication works for you. Get it through somehow. And, um, and we'd love to, love to chew on these things together. Also just want to mention as we finish, just a reminder again to sign up for our, um, carols outside around Hope Chapel on, um, next Sunday. So that's for, um, that's for everyone. Uh, we can have different slots. There'll be two slots happening on site at one time. One group over here having some mold punch and, and, uh, and, and a, a, a Thanksgiving kind of moment. And then, and then going around the other way. And then over here we'll have some teams leading worship and we'll have some carol services and we're singing carols and we can all sing and uh, outdoors and they'll be they'll be in groups of six households so do sign up to that through the through the link which is in the chat and in our other communications um, as as soon as possible and you can bring bring neighbours bring friends um, bring family bring people of peace people who are who would like to come and join you and, and sign them up uh, along with that too great so blessings on you and on your on your your household on your week and on your health and healing, and, and as you continue to digest and chew on and process uh, messages that Paul's brought, the worship we've been um, positioning ourselves in, and, and then the healing that Grace has been leading us in, um, we bless, bless each other in all of that, don't we, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Oh, Yvonne, there's, no, there's no morning service next Sunday in answer to that question, if you can still hear me. Um, so we haven't got a morning live stream service next Sunday. We've just got the afternoon in-person um, gathering. And then I'll just mention as well, so Christmas Day, um, we're having a Zoom at 10.30 uh, instead of a live stream. We won't actually have a service on the 27th, but then we'll be back to our normal live streams the following Sunday. So that's the 2nd or 3rd of Jan, I think it is. Cool.